We're a pioneer church based in Loughborough in the UK. Our mission is to make disciples to establish heaven on earth. Hello everybody. Hi. As a, um, as a really lovely welcome and introduction from um, Elves there. Just a bit of context, just to kind of bring myself a bit down. I'm the girl that was meant to be talking and printed half of her talk, but Becky helped me out. So um, <laughs> over in OH1 this summer, we've really loosely been going through a series called um, Gentle and Lowly, which is based on a book by Dayton Ortland. And we've had some great reflections from the likes of Becky Tyers, Luke Sadler, Jay Mack, and Emily Darlington. Um, and this week, we're going to be kind of reflecting together on Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. And as I was kind of preparing for this talk, I felt like God put a lot on my heart with it. And if I'm honest, I just want to dive straight in. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you guys to get your Bibles out, get your notebooks out, and you know, write some things down. But before I do that, I'm just going to pray. So Heavenly Father... We thank you that we can gather together, that we can worship you in community, God. Father, I just pray that as we study the word together right now, that you speak to us, that you make yourself known to us, that your spirit is present and moving in us right now. So Father, we just welcome you and we just say, speak in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So if you've got your Bibles, whether that's on your phone or physical Bible, grab it and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. Cool. Everyone there? Kind of? Yeah? Yeah? Well, I'll read it anyway. And so I'm going to read in from uh, the NIV translation. If you don't have that, that's okay. If you do, it just helps. So we're all kind of on the same page. But it says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And so on the face of it, when I read that verse first time, it seems like a really, really simple verse. It seems that if you read it on the face of it, it's just really easy to run with it and kind of just think, yeah, gospel, Jesus, yes, great. But the more time I spent reflecting on it and praying about it, the more there is, the more, like, there's depth to that verse. And so we know that if any verse starts with a conjunctive adverb, else is that right? Is it therefore conjunctive? Therefore, is it a conjunctive adverb? Doesn't matter, that's what Google says. Um, <laughs> so if it starts with therefore, or in the ESV version, it starts with consequently, we know we've got to go back to fully understand that verse. So if we go up to verse 18, and I'll read from verse 18 to 25, and it says, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it's not without an oath. Others become priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. 
Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And so now that we've read verse 25 in the context of scripture in which it exists, we realize that the author of Hebrews, he or she is revealing that Jesus' priesthood is greater than any other priesthood that's come before. Whether that's the king priest Melchizedek or the Levitical priesthood, which is spoken about earlier in the chapter. So the therefore in verse 25 is the summary of how and why Jesus' Jesus's priesthood is better and ensures our salvation. And in one single verse, it, it, it does this really cleverly by exploring the extent, expectation, and reality of Jesus' priesthood. What I mean by this is that verse 25 states that he is able to save us completely. Some translations say once and forever to the utter most, showing the extent of, Jesus, of our salvation through Jesus' priesthood. That unlike the Levitical priesthood and the, and the old law that was weak and useless and made nothing um, perfect, Jesus' one sacrifice has justified us forever. Through Jesus, we have been made right with God the Father. So there is nothing, no challenge, no orthodox fault that makes Jesus unable to save us. It then highlights the expectation on us to receive this salvation. And we all know that that's just simply to come to God the Father through the high priest, Jesus. That we're not saved through any other mediator or person or means or work, but saved purely through Jesus. And now, like, I could really easily pause here and ask you many different reflection questions on what this means to you. And I'd encourage you to go away today and really like, think about what does that mean to me now. But the part I want to focus on today is the present day reality of Jesus' priesthood. I want to focus on his priesthood here and now. Because I, I think it's really easy to think that Jesus lived, died, rose again, saved us, and then kind of just forgot about us. That he's somewhere in heaven having a vacation, chilling on the right hand of the Father, doing nothing. But we also know that that's not true. The Bible tells us in verse 25 that Jesus always lives to intercede for us. So the reality of Jesus ascending into heaven is that he eternally lives in the presence of God. As M. Darlo sang, he is alive for the here and now. That unlike other priesthoods that were human and limited by death, Jesus' priesthood is forever holy and permanent. 
Like, guys, do you, do you realize that Jesus is alive? And I'm not just talking about a temporary acknowledgement of his resurrection at Easter or when we're sharing the gospel with our non-Christian friends. But I'm talking about a deep awareness that he lives. That he lives through every circumstance, every high, every low, every pandemic, every trial, every heartbreak, every love, every tear and every joy. And if so... What does it look like to live knowing that Jesus is alive? And the thing is, not only is he alive and present, but he's also interceding for us before the Father. Intercession is the term used of the action of intervening um, or praying on behalf of someone else. And as believers, we often think about intercession only in the context of us praying for someone else's, you know, major crisis or, you know, health concern or job or like a a pandemic. But how often do we stop and think that Jesus is interceding for us right now? What does it mean to you to know that Jesus lives to intercede for you? That no matter what we do, he will never stop, forget, get tired of, bored or fed up of praying for us, interceding for us. Like what does that feel like to you? What does it feel like to know that? If you think about yourself right now, what would Jesus be interceding on your behalf, on your behalf for? Have you ever processed that? Jesus, our intercessor. Jesus, my intercessor. Because if I'm honest, I hadn't. <laughs> and the more I reflected on it, the more I didn't actually get it. The more it felt counterintuitive to everything I thought I knew and understood. Like how can we be declared right once and forever, yet still be like interceded for? How can Jesus make one sacrifice that has saved us completely, but still be advocating for us before the Father? Like it just didn't make sense to me. It did, it just, I couldn't get my head around it until I sinned. Until I noticed the enemy accusing me, pointing out my sins and my flaws, making a case against me and saying how I'm not worthy of salvation. That might be you now. And I think it's really easy as we walk our faith journey, moving further and further away from all that we were, to kind of become and feel self-sufficient and self-righteous. That we either know enough, do enough, serve enough to warrant or maintain our salvation. 
But the reality is, we're human. We're broken. And as much as we don't want to admit it, we're not perfect. But the beauty of it is that Jesus is. And the amazing thing about Jesus' priesthood is that when the enemy accuses us, it falls on deaf ears. Because our high priest Jesus, the ultimate defense lawyer, not only sacrificed himself on the cross, but continues to live and intercede for us. So actually, it's not at all counterintuitive. Because yes, Jesus' sacrifice accomplished our salvation. But his daily intercession is the moment-by-moment application of his atoning work. It's a statement of affirmation, celebration, and victory. Knowing that Jesus is interceding for us should comfort us, excite us, and raise our faith. Because it's an encouragement that Jesus is the high priest that not only took our place, but pleads our case. But what's also amazing when we, is that when we put our faith in him, when we come to God through Jesus, we, we join his church. As it says in 1 Peter 2 verse 9, we form part of a royal priesthood. So not only is Jesus interceding for us, but we can intercede for each other. We can intercede for our neighbor, our friend, family, our course mates, our hallmates, our work colleagues, our town. But the thing is, this is really hard in community when we're crippled by the shame, fear, and embarrassment of our sin. The sin that Jesus is able to save us from, we're still stuck by it. It's hard when the enemy tricks us to keep our sins in the dark, out of the light, and behind closed doors, whether that's literally or metaphorically. But James 5.16 tells us to confess our sins to each other so that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so guys, like, that's intercession right there. That's what, that's what we can do for each other. And the Bible tells us on many occasions that there's, there's power in praying for each other. But how many of us do that consistently? How many of us are like Jesus and continually interceding for each other? You know, we, we, like we often judge each other or slander each other. Or talk about each other, you know, behind like each other's backs. Oh, well, this person's done this. Would you guess they did this? You know, we don't boldly share with one another or faithfully walk with each other. But the Bible calls us to pray and intercede for one another. 
So today, what do you need to share with someone else? And who can you be praying and interceding for? But today, as I draw my reflections to a close, I think there's two clear areas for response. And Band, you'll probably want to jump back up. But one was to take a moment to just reflect on what it means to you that Jesus is interceding for you. Maybe it's helpful to close your eyes, picture it, (laughs) and rejoice in the good news. Or maybe it's a moment to thank Jesus for what he's actually interceding for you. Like, just thank him. Say, yeah, Jesus, you're cool. Thank you for that. And also to ask yourself, when you realize what God, Jesus might be interceding for you, like, what does that call you to do in response? Like, how do you live knowing that? But the second response was, I think it would be really good just to take a moment to to share with a neighbor, to turn to each other, to share something that we might need forgiveness for or healing from, and then to pray with each other, to actually practice and apply what the Bible calls us to. And you can be as deep and vulnerable as you want, but I'd encourage you to, to be honest, to be open with what's going on. I think there's some of you, I've been feeling this all week, that need, there's some of you that need to be obedient to what God's telling you. I think some of you right now, God's told you to tell someone and you, you, the pride is saying, no, I don't want to, I'm gonna be judged. But as a church family, this is a safe space to share.